Now just say that over again, and with the same inflections. <laughs> this was just a big ooh bo- ooh oh, sh- <laughs> ooh boy bo- bo- oh howdy. This was a, just a big, a chunky movie, a big Chef Boyardee chunky beefaroni of a movie. But you can't check your six. It's kind of like you know taking a screwdriver to a gunfight. What's happening? Just like old times, huh? finally talking about exit wounds finally we're here to talk about exit wounds welcome back to another wonderful episode of steven see it all and we are really gonna see them all aren't we uh this is film number 11 uh the 2001 movie Exit Wounds. Early 2001 is worth pointing out. Early 2001, Exit Wounds, starring Steven Seagal and DMX, (laughs) which was an interesting pairing, to say the least, but also, just looking ahead, I don't want to spoil the next episode, but this might be the beginning of an unfortunate trend in casting. I don't know. Although, you say it's interesting. I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but it's actually... I, like, on my drive over here today, I was picturing in my head, like, somehow I got on the topic of how this movie came to be, and weirdly enough, it's the one that makes the most sense to me. <laughs> like, it's the most movie of all of these movies so far. Well, then, let's, uh, let me try to recap yes. the plot of the film. Uh, so it takes place in Detroit, uh, and Steven yeah, Seagal... Yeah, very Toronto-looking of... Detroit, but Detroit, yes. Yes, looks a lot like Canada. Crazy. Uh, but it is Detroit, he says. Um, and so at the beginning of the movie, Seagal is, he's a renegade cop who plays by his own rules, but darn it gets the job done for the 11th time. (laughs) Although this time gets the job done like no other saves the vice president's life for the opening. Oh yeah. So in, in the previous 10 films, it's been a congressman or a senator in this movie. It is the vice president of the United States. There is an attempt on the life of the vice president of the United States. His motorcade is intercepted by fake cops and a helicopter. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, but Steven Seagal goes in, guns blazing, and one man armies his way uh, through you know, all the, all the gunfire and everything. Uh, and he rescues the vice president by throwing him off a bridge into the water. <laughs> by throwing a man who cannot swim off a bridge into the water. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, says, I can't, I can't swim. swim. <laughs> and then he throws him and then he throws the vice president of the United States off a bridge. Um, Which is kind of its own assassination. He, he stopped the assassination <laughs> attempt to do his own assassination attempt. Yeah. It's just, his failed. It's like if he so said, get fine, down, Mr. Apparently. Kennedy. Okay. Now time for, now it's and he literally he literally tells the guy don't worry i'm a cop <laughs> yeah which um i want to talk about how that works in the steven seagal later but after i get through the rest of the plot um so he is called into the captain's office and is rightfully reamed out and unrightfully just moved to a different precinct if this movie had accurate. been about how bad cops just get like moved around instead of actually punished, this could have been a movie about something. And I thought, is he going to say something <laughs> about how corrupt cops are treated? Because the rest of the movie is about corrupt cops. 
Okay. It does not say anything profound about corrupt cops. Okay, and I do at all. That is another thought that I had literally like on the car ride over here. It's very strange. It is both like I was saying, the movie that most knows what itself is. Like this movie knows exactly mm-hmm. what it is more than any other. What it attempts to do, it sets out to do, and it achieves, I think, perhaps the best of the movies we've seen so far. But mm-hmm. also I somehow I can't explain it. This is gonna sound like just like some Zach BS that you just want to ignore, which is fair, you can. But it, while knowing the most what it is and pulling off what it is the best, it also is by far has the the greatest like incongruity between like stated <laughs> themes and like depicted themes. Like the yeah. the message, the theme, the moral, everything of this movie. This is probably the mo- the worst case of like it wants to <laughs> say this and it does this. Yeah, uh, and so um steven seagal i'm not even going to attempt i'm not even gonna like attempt maverick to... cop orin boyd okay sure so i um... we've talked about this before john hatcher i will remember till i die orin boyd was out of my mind like before they even <laughs> finished saying his name that is the <laughs> least memorable name so far i think yeah uh so he gets moved to the 15th precinct of detroit which apparently has a reputation for being the worst precinct like when he arrives he just sees cops casually beating suspects on the sidewalk. Like, it's which is not at all different from what he does, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he like looks upon them, his fellow cops, with disdain. Um, so then he uh, discovers that there is a group of undercover cops who are like undercover with like these drug gangs and stuff, who started out undercover, but apparently are like actually working for they're actually drug dealers like they stopped being undercover and now they're undercover as cops but they're actually drug dealers and what they do is they steal drugs from like the evidence locker and then they sell that and they come up with like this complicated um system for smuggling heroin through and out of the country um and it seems to be that, like, the kingpin of all this stuff is DMX. I don't know what his character's name was. Uh, uh, Latrell Walker. Well, because he, yeah, kind of, that's, he has two names. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he has two names even within the movie. Right, because uh, he is Leon Rollins and Latrell Walker. Yeah, so the movie at first appears to be Steven Seagal trying to take down this ring of dirty cops selling drugs under the command of DMX. Uh, but then it turns out that DMX, like the twist of the movie near the end, kind of like right before the climax, is that DMX is actually like a double secret, like vigilante. He's a dot com billionaire. Sure. Yeah, he's a dot com billionaire uh, who is also like a secret vigilante trying to take down the dirty cops. Like he knows that the cops are dirty and he's trying to collect evidence to you know, put them away but he's doing it extrajudiciously like you could you could not submit any of the evidence that he gathers no, he's, he's trying to prove cops are dirty by buying heroin from the cops yeah he is a drug dealer like or whatever buys... i don't even remember what was heroin the drug i don't no, remember no, no, what it yeah was. it was heroin like i don't think he actually does drug dealing he's like setting up the oh actually no you're right no they definitely take part like he he's definitely like take part in like some real deal he brings the money to the but to the meat to be fair, half the money to half the money to dmx's point to whatever his character's name is to his point he does specifically say like i'm gonna try to turn this in if it accomplishes nothing like i'm gonna just like put it on the internet and get like public outcry about it like he does yeah. address the fact that no this yeah probably isn't gonna work within the system yeah so he does 
And it kind of ends up, this is, I think we've seen more and more recently, this, you know, a bit early for its time, this is very early internet, but, like, mm-hmm. civilian-filmed interactions of police brutality, like, yeah, that is actually... That, that definitely, it is actually a thing. I think that's, like, the best, as a social message, I think that's, like, the best part of the whole thing. At least the most, like, prescient part of the right. whole thing. Um, it, it but then, of course, at single. the end of the movie, it has to turn into a shootout, which actually there's some pretty cool moments in the shootout that I want to yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, the climax isn't that bad. I think it's actually, there's some moments. And it has uh, sort of the problem that, oh, early Seagal movie where he, like, shotgunned that guy's leg off. Yes. <laughs> uh, he was for looking justice? for Ricky. Uh, out for justice. Yeah. Uh, I think this falls into, like, as far as the action goes, like the same kind of problem as out for justice. Like there are some really fun action scenes and like action moments, but just as a whole, it doesn't really, it also has a whole bunch of up. new problems compared to the action. It has a whole bunch of justice. new problems. <laughs> it has a whole bunch of new problems. Um, and okay. I actually that's, had a so lot of fun uh, with this one. I was having a good time. I had it not. A, I did had not a bad time. It wasn't a bad time watching this movie. I, it was I didn't the, have a bad the music time. was really good. They had music like was actually great. pretty decent score with this one. The sound effects were just off the wall absurd. Uh, the, the weirdly uh, choreography not terrible compared to previous ones. Like well, if you look at well, okay, it's not great, but if you look at like the knife fights in Under Siege that are just god awful, and you compare that to the. The fight scenes in this one, it's okay, pretty solid. I, well, so these... Okay, well, ooh, okay, I would agree with you for all of the fisticuffs, which do not include Seagal. Because <laughs> Seagal had to make himself so over-the-top awesome at fighting. Like, he pulls off some, like, Matrix moves in this There was movie. There were a couple, like, <laughs> jump off from the ground without using your hands kind of deal that yes like he like does a sideways cartwheel catches himself on the ground with his left arm and just with the strength of his left arm pushes himself that doesn't even that doesn't even touch the most crazy part that he like kind of like you said he like he just like jukes it to the left cartwheels (laughs) and with both of his legs kicks the guy he's fighting like yeah but the problem is it's very much like it's like the liam neeson in taken three climbing over the fence scene where this is achieved mm-hmm. with 15 cuts <laughs> oh and he like, like jumps kicks just, out both legs pushes himself back like just the kind use of, of a stunt double pivot. is egregious in this film like it is very obviously a stunt double not even like the same mm-hmm. build yep as steven seagal well for me it's I feel like that's what you should notice. This probably what most people notice is that this is a whole other person for me the thing that i notice <laughs> is that he like is like pushing himself back up on like a perfect yeah. rotation with one hand but when they cut back to seagal he is doing that thing where he refuses to move his arms like from his sides like they <laughs> yes. do not move more than 10 feet like not 10 feet more than 10 degrees from his body so when they show him doing a crazy stunt like this that's the problem is that then you can tell when you go back to seagal because his arms like do not move stuck to his side so it makes it I that's think, what made it super obvious to me every time it happened the, the biggest thing that made me laugh at this movie was that Every single part of the movie, like the entire the entire story, if you, if you strip away everything else and you just look at the story of this movie, Seagal could have been removed from the equation and yeah. a, a lot fewer people would have died. There yep. would have been a lot less property damage and pretty much all of these police operations, the legitimate police operations, would have gone on like without a hitch. Also, he, like an Seagal only interrupted the process of, of all of the plans. Also, the movie would make so much more sense. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> all, like all of the dirty cops would have been caught. 
<laughs> had Seagal been there or not. Like, he actually didn't help. No. His character <laughs> does not play an, an integral role in, in the slightest to the overarching overarching story of this movie. Which is, I don't know, I just thought that was really, really funny. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, okay, let's just talk about, like, the the character of Oren Boyd here. Because okay. I think there are some, like, fundamental issues with the characterization of Oren Boyd. Okay. As there are fundamental issues with the characterization of every Steven Seagal character we've seen here. Right. But I found this one particularly dissonant. Because the writing of the character played right into, I think, every single one of Seagal's weaknesses as an actor Interesting. like at, at the beginning of the movie so let me explain let me explain. So <laughs> at, the, at the beginning of the movie he goes off and like does his crazy you know action scene where he saves the vice president of the united states because he's an action star and he has to do something crazy like that and that's how we're introduced to his character and the whole time he has that like cold collected look on his face the entire time because he's that's just what he thinks cool guys do yeah, but the, uh, like squinting, and then oh, I even had in my notes that when if in that opening scene, especially, he's continually or continuously closing his eyes while shooting his pistol, like yeah, flinching, yeah. even though I whatever mean, he does the whatever weird reload thing where yeah. he like sticks his arm up it, in oh the air, God, I, yeah, where and I don't understand like he has to whatever, show the crowd his gun that like he knows how to reload a pistol. Whatever they're using is obvi- they're obviously not live rounds, and even even no, if they no, are, no. even if they're blanks. Like, the guy's still, like, wincing every time he shoots his <laughs> pistol. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, but anyway, anyway. So, like, uh, he gets called into the, you know, the captain's office. And he gets moved to, like, the most difficult and horrible precinct in Detroit. And he has to go to a support group for anger issues. <laughs> which, he has not been characterized as having anger issues. His problem isn't anger. Like, he doesn't fly off the handle and do crazy stuff. Like, he was calm, cool, and collected that entire time. His problem is insubordination, that he refuses to follow anyone's orders, and he doesn't play along with the team, that he just, like, does his own thing. Yeah. Why is he being sent to anger management classes? There's even, like, a scene in his first time in the anger management class when he's asked to stand up, and he gets, like, caught in the desk a little bit. And, like, he's supposed to, like, the writing, the writing of the scene... What he's supposed to do is, like, he gets annoyed that he can't get out of the desk very easily. He's supposed to, like, flip out and tear the desk apart. But he is so devoid of any extremities of emotion that he just kind of, like, in a with a bored like, affect about him, just kind well. of, like, casually an, tears the desk apart. For an adult, like, and stuck in a children's desk is very calm about it. Yeah, he was, like, really chill about the whole thing. Um, and so they keep... Like, the text of the film, like, the actual spoken dialogue tells you several times throughout the movie, this guy has anger issues and he can't control his emotions. But the way it's shot and the way it's directed and the way it's acted tells you the exact opposite. That actually he is, like, an unfeeling monster. I mean, it's <laughs> even, the, even the scene immediately after that, whenever, again, this is kind of our first character saying how cool Seagal is. Which, okay, yeah. I, I do need to say, actually, at this time it kind of works because it is all of these like middle-aged men in the anger management class that are like, Oh, this yes. guy's so cool. He, he knows like, yes. like, that actually is Seagal's target audience is just like yeah. dudes, like just like some dads, like, like dads with anger issues that live in Detroit, um, who live vicariously through his specifically movies. Tom Arnold. Like that. I could actually <laughs> believe them being like, Oh, this dude's so cool. He knows like Kung Fu and stuff. Look at me. Beat them up. Yeah, he like, just beat up like six guys, but <laughs> 
Like even in that scene, he did like a flip, like the Matrix. Even in that scene, he ha- he's driving like his truck. He parks it. He comes out. There are people like trying to like carjack him, like trying to steal the truck. And, and he, he says the and he says the greatest line of the entire movie. Yes. As he sees people trying to break into his truck, he goes, "What am I, a magnet?" But he just kind of like he just kind of likes like and like ex- and says that. But like again. He's not flipping out. What? What are you doing? What's no, going? no he does not like, have Ugh. anger issues. Okay, now I got to deal with this, I guess. But he, he in fact, his his problem is that he has no emotional investment in anything that goes on around him. No, and truly, it is. Oh, cops are. I, me, and all the other cops are abusing people of the streets. Okay, sure, whatever. Then mm-hmm. later on in the movie, okay, we're against like cops abusing people in the streets. Okay, sure, whatever. Like he just has. Both yeah. zero buy-in and 100% buy-in with whatever cause he's currently on. <laughs> he's just down for whatever, he's like, yeah. but he's not. don't expect him to be enthusiastic He's just about doing it. something. That's <laughs> it. He's not engaged in something. He's not working towards no. something. He's just always doing something. Yeah. Um, and it's, I just, I, I want any, okay. What I want for Christmas <laughs> is to see Steven Seagal express an emotion. Just like get... <laughs> I want to see him overwhelmed with some emotion, positive, negative. I don't care. Although Literally would, anything want... that isn't like the 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 half closed eyes with the smirk. Yeah. Although this I, is I want to see him emote. The closest he has come so far to like a, this a is the closest. Is he it? He has come so far. When he's tearing apart the desk, his face does look a little bit annoyed. Well, I would also <laughs> say for me specifically, it's that this is like. For an action movie, like for the main character, this is basically a requirement is that like, you know, they make some kind of pithy remark or they make like, you know, a sarcastic quip or a joke or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is, and most times we've talked about this, like they're like this, I think happened to all of us at some point. Like we just literally didn't even realize he was trying to make a joke because he just said something <laughs> and you're like, what? And then like you learn later it's a joke. This is the yeah. only time where it actually kind of seems like this guy can act like he has a sense of humor. Like, he can kind mm-hmm. of be in on the joke. There are sometimes, not that it works, not that I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm charmed, uh, you know, oh, so uh, humorous but endearing. But there are times mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, it actually seems like he could have a sense of humor. In every other movie, he seems like a just completely humorless, like, just slab of... Yeah, like, the With the most annoying smirk possible. This time, the smirk is slightly less yeah. annoying. And when he has, like, banter with the other cops, like, most of the other cops hate him for, like, no reason. Like, everyone is just kind of, like angry at each other um and like he gets to the new precinct and they just like immediately don't like him yeah um but yeah yeah that's kind of the character of orin boyd um he's supposed to be like he's written as having anger issues he does not have anger issues just that's not how it nothing in the movie would tell you that other than the dialogue um it was very much a tell don't show in fact it was a tell and show the opposite and that and kind of similar to this like i mentioned briefly earlier where this movie is very confident what it is as a movie but in terms of like the Mm -hmm. theme of the movie i feel like it is completely like like it just makes absolutely no sense it has no attempt to even try to (laughs) rationalize it it is ostensibly a movie Uh that is advocating against police brutality Um, yes but it makes absolutely no sense with the character that they've chosen no. If he started off the movie as a police who is brutal and, like, abuses suspects and citizens with, like, no repercussions, like you said at the beginning, oh, he just gets transferred around. If he kind of learned a lesson towards the end, if he had growth and arc, like, that's fine. He doesn't have to start off perfect. That does not no. happen. Um, I, this is... Jump- and, like... Is it okay if I jump to the end, like, just to touch on this? 
Well, I just want to make okay. one yeah. short comment about like the scene where he first arrives at mm. okay. the like the fifteenth precinct when he like arrives at the building. Like I said, there were like there I think two or three cops out on the sidewalk in front of the precinct, just like beating a suspect yeah. on the sidewalk out in it's the noon. It's like lunchtime. It's the beating uh, hour, and he just every hour. walks by that. That like just looks at it. It's like, oh, this stuff. Okay. Well, and like walks into the building, doesn't say anything about it, and then goes into the building, and then the first woman he meets, he like demeans and belittles. Turns out she's like the captain of this precinct. Which how did he not know that before he showed up? Um, <laughs> but it's just he like he participates in those things. It seems that like the the text of the film is that the only bad cops. Like, the only cops who, like, really deserve any sort of comeuppance or justice or anything like that are the ones who are, like, actively committing blatant crimes. Drug trafficking. Like, drug trafficking. Like, million, like, multi-million dollar drug trafficking. <laughs> and, yeah, um, that's... Oh, we didn't... And also a, an armed uh, robbery with fatalities of, of all yes. to get the money for the oh, yeah. drugs. Yeah. Um, but... At the end of the movie, yeah, go for it. To your point, and even more. So he goes to the police station. Not just, he witnesses this brute, and he's just like, yeah, sure, whatever. They even yeah. mention there, like, you were transferred. Okay, so you have this thing with the vice president. Oh, we need to go back and talk about that real quick. That's just a fun little factoid. Yeah, this thing with the vice president, <laughs> but also, I think they said three counts of brutality, like, of, you know, yeah. complaints on your record. So he, like you said, he partakes. But the most confusing moment, and this is another one that just, it could be so easy with, like, a slight change. It would make sense. He's spying on DMX. He's spying on Leon slash Latrell, um, which, first of all, throughout the entire movie, it is so funny because, like, his detective work is even worse here than usual. When he's just like, oh, they're doing a robbery. And they're like, okay, that guy's about six foot. And he goes, and he's black. And he, the way he says black is just gross. Like, Black. It's disgusting. It's just, it's, it's but then he gross. literally goes to a person. He's like, "Hey, I want to look up just like all the records of like every person in the city." And they're like, "Okay, what do you have?" And he goes, "A six foot black guy named Latrell." And I'm like, "Do you really <laughs> think that is enough to find your suspect?" This it's Detroit. You're in Detroit, uh, and you have a black guy named Latrell. That is all you have. You are just looking to profile like literally like an entire community. Anyway. But he's spying and on they Latrell. like find him. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, was that? I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Uh, he does eventually. Like he hires a private investigator basically to like find him. <laughs> yeah, I have he... some. <laughs> There's okay, private investigator. That's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, third grade's character. Um, but jumping ahead to the end, the part that just baffles me the most about this entire movie is he catches up to DMX. They have a little fight, and then DMX is like, "Okay, this you've kind of seen me coming in and out in and out of my hideout. Let me show you what's going on in here." Because yeah. Steven Seagal sees him going in and out of this hideout. He assumes, okay, this is like, you know, his drug trafficking, like, you know, center of operations. But it turns out it is a dot-com billionaire center of operations for monitoring, like, civilian monitoring of police. They have, like, you know, recordings of, like, all these interactions happening. This is what they're going to use to blow the whole cover off. But, like, literally, yeah. like, this guy has multiple counts of police brutality on his record. Like, literally, one of the people there currently is watching a video of steven seagal like beating up the one dude working on this project um the yeah. the guy from transformers i can't remember the, that guy, the one who ate the whole plate yeah he, uh, he ate all the donuts to show he's innocent oh, that's a great anthony anderson anthony i said um uh 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 and but like he's 
bringing Seagal into this operation. DMX is like, let me show you. And he shows him all this stuff, like, you know, risking blowing the entire cover of this operation. And he's like, you win. There is absolutely no reason to trust this man. No. All you have done is see this guy pursue you and, like, use extra, like, supposedly off-limits, very clearly accepted both in the movie and in the real world, techniques to, like, harass and, like, use you of crimes that you kind of are, kind of aren't doing. But, like, yeah. you saw him, like, uh, handcuff and, like, beat your friend. You have video yeah. of him handcuff and beating your friend. Again, this is the problem that just doesn't make sense in the movie. It's against police brutality, but has a character that does police brutality and, like, doesn't ever really stop. But they just kind of bring him in and they accept him and he's like, now he's cool at stopping it. Yeah. And I think the slight change would just be if instead of having a fight outside and then just saying, okay, you know what, let me show you. If he just kind of broke his way in. If he saw DMX Mm -hmm. go into his little hideout and Seagal, like, followed him in, broke in, like, you know, forced his way in in some way and then saw what was really happening, you could see, oh, you're not... A drug trafficker you're trying to uncover this okay, i've you know, completely misread this entire situation i completely misread this okay you know what you got me i'd like to help i out have made a mistake and must grow as a character that would make sense and i'm even fine with like a five second character change i just don't understand mm-hmm. he has not even through movie logic there is no logic to explain why <laughs> dmx other than it literally just feels like they get to the okay it's the it's the part of the movie we're both on the poster it's the it's the time in the movie when we team up there's no other reason to trust this guy because this guy is well not to the same degree, but doing the same things of the people you're trying to stop. He is one of the people you are filming to try to like stop because he has multiple counts of police brutality on his record. Yeah. Like unless I miss I something. wanna I wanna ask a a bigger question. Okay. Why is DMX in this movie? Okay, no, wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please, please explain okay. to me how I'm I wrong. Have... I want to be wrong. <laughs> Let me explain my theory. Save me. Because of when this movie came out. That's what I was thinking okay. about when it's I was thinking about it's this early movie. 2001. This movie is very of its time. Um, the way I imagine this was happening, the way I imagine this happened, is a lot of both the like subject matter and the techniques of the movie feel like... Mm-hmm. What nowadays you would say are like chasing algorithmic trends, like they want to be surfaced by the algorithm. This is before like algorithmic content was a thing, so it's more just like chasing yeah. trends. That's early two thousands. Yeah. It's kind of like hip hop has now reached. Oh, it's broken into it, the mainstream. It's reached like suburban culture. Like white kids are listening to hip hop. Like, like I was in two thousand one. I was a white kid living in the Midwest. I had heard of DMX. Like right. I have were there. You were hearing hip hop music on the radio in rural Missouri. Like it was a thing. So this movie. So I picture that Warner Brothers is like, okay, we have one more movie with Seagal on our contracts. That uh, like you know this contract that we have with him. We have like one more movie for him, and they're just mm-hmm. like, what trends are out there? It's, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out around this time. I believe he cannot do that. He can't do that. <laughs> but they're like, okay, why are Fu martial arts movies? That's a very early two okay. thousands thing. Like you know, Matrix happened. Yeah. We're still in this like wire Fu phase of movie making. Yeah. Um, just like action thriller with like an action leading man who is. Let me just say, as far as action scenes go, he may be an Aikido master. He is no Michelle Yeoh. Absolutely not. Um, There's no way. (laughs) And also, we want this like hip hop infused movie. Like this is the era when like Nintendo is advertising their handhelds with like a graffiti tag, like you know aesthetic. (laughs) Like that just everything is extreme. That just was the aesthetic of the time. So I think 
probably what happened is DMX is like, okay, I got this music career going on. You see a lot of like, you know, rappers, especially in the 2000s, they like transition into acting. Like you see Ice Cube and 50 Cent move into acting. So he's kind of like, okay, let's, where can I get me into a movie? And they're basically just like, well, if you'll star alongside Seagal, Warner Brothers will fund it. They're looking to like, you know, reach a different audience with like a hip hop yeah. infused wire foo movie. So, and they're like, and sure, DMX can look like a tough guy. X gonna give it to you. Let's. Yeah, he gets into a fight with Steven Seagal and doesn't lose that fight. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, actually, I feel, I feel like Seagal loses more fights in this one than usual. I, yeah. Or at least looks like, like, you know, loses for the first bit and then maybe eventually overcomes it. But. Mm-hmm. But he seems to have a harder time in these fights yeah, than in previous but movies. That's how I see this movie coming about. It actually makes a lot of sense to me that it's like no, a that does. DMX joint. I was just thinking of this from the perspective that DMX doesn't deserve this. No. <laughs> he doesn't deserve to have this happen to him. But I will actually say so I'm watching the movie. You have like the whole intro of the Seagal and everything. I love the first scene that DMX shows up to. He just like pulls up in his car. He gets out. It's playing a DMX song. He pulls up yeah. in his car. He gets out in this like gray like uh, turtleneck sweater, and instantly yeah. two seconds on screen, he looks cooler than Seagal has in the last like eleven. Movies. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like this dude Easily. rolls up, and I'm just like, this is just a different caliber of on screen charisma. It's not yeah. even close. And then it's even better because then later on in the movie they have. They have Seagal standing next to DMX, and DMX is very obviously cooler. Then they have Seagal get into a fist fight with Michael Jai White, and it is just <laughs> seeing, it is like seeing a, a a tadpole against a great white shark. Like within Michael, J- like their fight starts. Michael Jai White does this like jump, like split kick, and you can tell within the first like two seconds, like they are in completely different classes of action choreography, yeah. like skill, mm-hmm. achievement, everything. Which he is outclassed instantly. So let me let me go back to like your theory about how this movie got made and do the exact opposite. It's not a theory, it's the truth, but go ahead. I think it is also possible, and I think this would explain some of the writing issues that have to do with this movie. Like, they had this movie written, but it wasn't cast yet. Except for maybe DMX. Like, him being DMX actually, mm-hmm. like, fits into a lot of how the movie goes. Yeah. Uh, like, coming into the theater and, like, recognizing him... And his ability to just be like cool on screen is kind of important actually to the plot of the movie. But Steven Seagal being the other lead actor doesn't really make sense. I think when it was written, the writers didn't think Steven Seagal would be in this movie. Um, like that, that wasn't really a possibility. I think Seagal is horribly cast in this. Like it accentuates his weaknesses as an actor. Um, and so I think it was going to be DMX and somebody else originally, and they just had to resort. I mean, I don't know to if getting that, Steven I don't know if that necessarily disagrees with my theory because that could still be the same. We want to make. I like, think those you know, could an yeah, both be true. Hip hop like mm-hmm. wirefu movie, and then Warner Brothers is like, well, we have Seagal for contractually <laughs> for one more movie, so like. And someone sure. was like, "Do we have to? Like, do I, we I really I could have see to." That being the way that it worked out. Yeah, I think yeah, I I think that's kind of how it went. That they're like, okay, um, we'll get a thirty million dollar budget if Seagal's in it, I guess. Hey, yeah. did you know that uh, Michael Jai White was in an uncredited role in On Deadly Ground? Really? He actually, I think he shows up in more than I think he's in a few earlier. I I think I remember seeing his name as like kind of back. This is the first time he is there, like as like Michael Jai White is in this. He has been in other movies, I think, in kind of smaller background stunt things. In other Seagal movies, though, I think so. 
Huh. We'll get into where all these actors have been later and also how in the world the Super Mario Brothers movie fits into this. Because um, <laughs> it always does. Uh, one, th- one thing that I noticed, he, I, secret he's key. missing the ponytail in this one, which is which he was doesn't a have a ponytail in this one. Reprieve. Um, no pony. This is a ponytailless movie. His no hairline, though, it, in the front of his hairline, is extraordinarily pointy, like <laughs> unnaturally, like just might as well be an Avatar arrow on top of his head. No, it was very is... odd. I don't know why it stuck out to me so much Looks more like in this one than it did in the previous ones, but it it it's really front and center. But I, I think in a few notable ways, this is like the best in scare quotes. Seagal has looked in one of these movies. Like, he's a bit slimmed down. Um, he doesn't have the ponytail like it's gone. He doesn't have as garish, outrageous outfits as he's trying to warn in the past. Like, this is the yeah, I think, some of the most accessible Seagal we've had. And I think he's trying here more than in the last few I, I would few agree. Movies. I do think he's trying more. I think he's failing, but he's trying. I The way I read it is that he had some success with Under Siege. Got a little big, you know, big for his britches, went to his head. Mm -hmm. He had a couple box office failures, and I think he went the straight to, like, video route. And they're like, okay, this is your chance at a comeback. Like, you gotta try. Yeah. And I think it did did actually, this was one of the better um, box office returns of his movies. Yeah, well, it had a budget of 30 million. I think it made 80 million in the box office. Okay, like, pretty decent. So it made more than twice its budget back, like... Almost, I mean, almost three times its budget back. Which, if small budget, I mean, nowadays eighty million dollars is nothing. That's you can't even make a movie for eighty million dollars. Uh, but you know, at, at the time and for a Seagal movie, I would say that's that's not bad. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, and I think this is also like so our appreciation and disappreciation appreciation of these movies like the way we the lens that we have viewed these movies through is like so weird messed up i think if you don't have a weird <laughs> podcast yeah. or film bro like post postmodern like viewing of these movies this is probably like the best since like under siege this is for the most just like dude who wants to sit on the couch and wants to watch a skull movie you're probably still best off with under siege yeah. if you want a different flavor if you want something a little more fun i think this is like the next this is... quote unquote like good cigar movie i think this is having so you can see okay let's compare it to under siege because i think that's a fair comparison uh as far as like the filmmaking quality goes i think it's the fairest comparison amongst yeah. seagal movies so far uh so just comparing it to under so siege the two like, that most just like feel like a movie yeah like so i think like a lot of the watch I think a lot of the characters, like the actors in Under Siege, were having a fun time. Um, <laughs> like Gary Busey, just looks like <laughs> he's having a great time. He really did. Like what was it, Tommy Lee Jones? Tommy Lee Jones. He's having a great he was, time. He was having he a blast, having a except for when he has to act against Seagal. Like <laughs> then it just all the joy in the room just dies. But. When he's by himself and he just gets to like monologue and get crazy, like he seems like he's having a fun. No, I time. literally love that they just gave him like an AM radio talk show <laughs> talk show host like dialogue for like half of this. Well, it was great. Uh, and then this movie, I think quite a few of the actors look like they're having a good time. Okay. Like even Seagal gets like a bit more of a, a he gets a bit more emotive in this one. Like I keep going back to the moment where he's like <laughs> the tearing apart the desk. Bit. It's like the closest he gets to being emotional on screen um and it you know it so for me i mean i didn't like this movie i didn't think it was very good it is i would probably rather watch under siege again than watch exit wounds again 
Um, I think it could depend on the day for me. Or yeah, probably it depends on what mood I'm in. Because <laughs> I think I, I, so. What I'm but what, what I'm getting to basically is that I think Exit Wounds is a more fun movie. Yes, absolutely. Than Under Siege, I don't yeah. think it's like quite as good, but like it's more fun. Like it's trying to just have fun. Under Siege isn't really trying to have fun. It has fun moments, but it's not trying to be like mm-hmm. a fun movie to watch. It's trying to be like a, an action, you know, drama with some comedic moments. This has much more of like an action, almost action comedy. Yeah feel to it for me i mean yeah even literally just with um anthony anderson and um uh tom arnold alone like the fact that literally when you get to the credits they're just like riffing for like three minutes Sit. okay yeah, okay but that that's a whole other thing and it goes on for way too long <laughs> no 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 they just let them just say whatever for like three minutes. The guy, the uh, Tom Arnold started talking about. <laughs> okay, I was like, what the it, hell am I listening to right some now? Of it was tasteless. Yes, I agree. It's completely crass and tasteless, but <laughs> it's the movie. That's that's the goal. That's exit ones. Well, and it was the most fun anyone had ever had on screen in a Seagal movie. And it, it was during the credits, but... And it didn't have anything know. to do with Seagal. And it didn't have anything to do with Seagal, that's right. Nothing to do with Seagal had barely anything to do with the movie. They right. do mention at the end of the movie that, um, you know, they're going to work on... Anthony Anderson is going to come on to, you know, Tom Arnold's TV show, like public access TV show that he has. It's not public um, access. He's. It, it seems to be like a, a real legitimate. Like people recognize him on the street. They're yeah. Like, oh, you're the guy. He, well, it's, no, it's, it's basically like, you know what grinds my gears from Family Guy. Well, it's like <laughs> AM. Like it has a name, like it's AM radio or something, but it's on television. Um. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I, yeah. I have I have one thing. Pretty much the only thing because I like I said I had a good time with this one, but it wasn't. It wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It was just kind of like you said. It was just a movie. It, it was the most just a regular movie that I have seen from Steven like, Seagal it's, aside it's from Under Siege. Seconds, I'm just like, oh, this looks like a movie. Yeah, and there were there was had good comedic timing. Like it was it was okay. Like it was just a movie. It was fine. If it had if it didn't have Steven Seagal in it, it would have been infinitely better. Well, yeah, but still. <laughs> anyway, the only the only problem that I have the only like problem worth mentioning i guess that i have just one you you talked about the police chief at the at the uh one five i think it was precinct when he got transferred was the um oh who what was the actress's name hang on i gotta look it up now are you talking about jill hennessy is that who it is or are you talking about uh yes Eva jill hennessy <laughs> jill hennessy is the police chief or captain or whatever it would end up being i don't know at at the precinct that he gets transferred to she is like she talks about how she has no patience for no nonsense cops or for for she has no patience for cops like seagal 
and then proceeds to have all the patience in the world for him, even though he does exactly what she tells him not to do. They start to like build a little bit of a relationship for them, kind of like the, the yeah. little bit of back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, she's out to dinner on a date with a guy, yeah, and he interrupts the date, and then sits down and just eats the other dude's food. No, which woman and on she's the like planet would just be okay. Yeah. With this. Yeah, he he just interrupts her date after after her date gets done saying like no cop talk. We're we're here to enjoy each other's company, and then he interrupts them, sits down, and then eats the guy's food. And she's like, "Oh, interesting." Message to all men: Never do this. Do Doesn't work. <laughs> if Seagal's doing uh, it, don't do it. Actually, <laughs> message to all women: If anyone, if any man ever does this, call the police. <laughs> Unless he is a cop, then just That's run. Go home. <laughs> I can't even remember. I don't even think this is the first time he did it. I feel like there's some other movie where he sits down and eats someone else's food and makes a comment about it. Like uh, it's the, in the Italian restaurant. Uh, uh, in, oh, that's also marked for death. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of marked for death. When he just death, beats uh, up all the Mater D's for no reason. Yeah, there was a lot of marked for death stuff in this one that made me think of that movie. That awful, awful movie. But anyway, the only other thing then is like after she's charmed by him... He meets up with her in a parking garage later on in the movie to talk about like how cops on her force are bad cops and need to be taken out. And they end up getting ambushed by those cops who then try to murder them, blah, 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 blah. He says, I don't remember. I have to look up the line. Oh, she's she drives them away, drives them out of the parking garage and like saves both of their asses. And then he says to her, I always said women are bad drivers. And then she says... Yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, what? No, I, I fully agree. Every single interaction yeah, she just he and saved her his life. is bad. I just oh, don't. Oh, and then she just it, dies unceremoniously. Yeah, yeah it, it didn't make any sense to me. And then she. a car she, crash, she, airbag doesn't go off, just smacks her head against the steering wheel and dies. Yeah, again, and that's, I had enough, a, is the second, like, Seagal must really genuinely think that women just, like, can't drive because also in um <laughs> On Deadly Ground. That's the yep. the one woman she just dies trying to drive away. Like Scott doesn't even kill her. Like <laughs> that's if true. there's a woman the worst driving, character actually, I think a hundred percent of the time a woman's driven. No, that's not true. Um, hard to kill. She but they even had he list. he crashed his uh he crashed his ram his truck and they had an extended shot of his airbag going off and his head plowing into the airbag like they made sure to capture that and then they also made sure to capture her airbag and her range rover not going off her dying and then they never mention her again like they get to the end of the movie and there's no you know in honor of her or anything she's just not brought up ever again no no funeral scene nothing and she was one of the she was like one of the only characters that had any it was interesting in even the slightest way even though they've written terribly and then she just dies. <laughs> yeah, no, again. I, I fully think that she is just completely wasted every single interaction they have is cringe inducing like it no, it's well, 100%, so, okay. probably one of the worst parts of the movie. Uh we're talking about the writing and like just the weirdness of the writing here. This yeah. is based on a book, right? Yes. It, is although it? it is, from what I saw, has basically nothing to do with the book. Oh, okay. okay. That in makes more movie, sense. Or technically based okay. on a book but i think it's like the book was by like an ex-cop or something but i don't think like any of the yeah. plot oh yeah i don't think dmx was a dot-com billionaire in the book was the book called exit wounds 
Um, yes, the book of the same name by John Westerman. Okay, oh, okay. that that actually makes a lot of sense because this entire time I've been wondering why the hell this movie was called Exit Wounds because it has it doesn't so that I never really, comes up at all. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so this is going back to the opening scene, which I have a couple things to say. Couple, we learned so much in this opening. Couple scene. of fun factoids. This opening scene where the vice president is speaking and he's talking. So first of all, this guy shows up and I'm just looking at him and I admittedly, I don't look at pictures of like Beto O'Rourke that often, but I'm like, this guy kind of looks like <laughs> Beto O'Rourke. Like he just kind of has that like bred to be like a politician mm-hmm. face. Um, and he's talking about <laughs> like gun deaths and how many children died of guns. So I'm like, this, yes. is, this is straight up Beto O'Rourke just 20 years before he's a thing. 15, I guess. Um, and this, and, and and I thought this movie—it's called Exit Wounds. The opening scene yes. is about gun control. I immediately thought this is about guns That's and like gun trafficking. So and... much where I thought the movie was going to be based on the name Exit Wounds and the fact that like yeah. the first line of dialogue you hear is about like gun deaths. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to relate to that, like the dangers of guns and like inner cities. <laughs> that again, the, he saves his vice president. Other than like it gets him transferred, this does not factor at all into the rest of the story. Nope, no, nope. doesn't matter at all. But the fun little factor they noted—they do they don't even share. talk about the vice president for the rest of the movie. The fun little factor that I do want to share. Um, like I said, he just looked like the kind of like bread for politician face. He kind of looks like, you know, that I looked it up. The guy is literally a Kennedy, like not exaggerating. The actor <laughs> that plays the vice president in this movie is like the He's son of George Christopher Lawford. Wow. But it, oh my God, his teeth. Okay. That's the first thing Sarah said when we looked up a photo. <laughs> look at this man's teeth. Okay. We look, okay. Here, before you say more, before you say more. He had, like, a very serious, like, substance abuse addiction for, like, 18 years. Oh, That probably had some effect on it. Yeah. But basically, he struggled with, like, drugs and alcohol for a while, and then he became a motivational speaker and, you know, author and such about his struggles because, like, he was in the Kennedy family, so he can just, like, be that. And then, um... Uh, and then, like, try to, like, kind of pivot into acting. He didn't have any major roles. Um, but his full name, Christopher Kennedy Lawford, that he literally, yeah, um, he's the son of Peter Lawford and Patricia Kennedy Lawford, who is the sister of John F. Kennedy. Like, he's actually fairly closely related. He's a, what, yeah. a, a nephew. Yeah, he's so JFK. JFK's nephew. So I looked at him, I'm like, this guy just, like, looks like a politician. And then I learned, oh, Because well, yeah, he's got Kennedy blood in him. He was literally, like, eugenically bred, like, a dog, <laughs> like a show dog to be, like, a politician in America. <laughs> yeah so that was just a like that was probably one some of the most fun i had watching the movie was like discovering that it wasn't even the movie itself it's learning oh wait this guy's actually kennedy that's funny well and okay um can we talk about some things that we let's let's do something a little bit different what did we like about this movie i just can't over his teeth the soundtrack is bangers nonstop. it really is uh, it's and it everything about it it fits every piece of the movie unlike some of the past ones we've seen it it just works. Like you it was, have, it, it it worked enough that I noticed it. And usually, mm-hmm. you don't really notice the soundtrack in a in a movie that you would classify as it was just a movie. Yeah, but it was actually pretty good. Yeah, but you got Nas, you got DMX, you got Timbaland, you have um, Dragon who plays DMX's brother in this movie, who's mm-hmm. like a part of like DMX's like you know uh, group at the time. It is so good. I would like legitimately like just listen to the soundtrack, like to enjoy it. And I think that's when I say like, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, if I want a more yeah. fun movie than um, Under Siege, a good chunk of that is is attributed to the soundtrack. Is that just like it, it makes the movie so much fun? Yeah, and I mean, I'm not like a huge 
okay i'm not even gonna say i'm not even a huge i'm just not even a hip-hop fan but i thought you know as far as steven seagal movie soundtracks go this was definitely the best I think. the uh by far the uh, most common song the no sunshine song that keeps playing that's just a good song yeah um uh, one weird weirdly specific thing that i really liked that i haven't seen done in a whole lot of movies like the title card comes in like one letter at a time from different angles yeah like from different sides of the screen and like the letters move really slowly (laughs) and they come together like at the end of the vice president's monologue at the beginning and for some reason i just found that like to be a really interesting artistic move that i really like and i just don't see very often very like the stranger things like opening very early on yeah like the that's it i just find that really pleasing the way it just slowly comes together and like ah okay it's complete now but yeah I, i guess i do really i uh, it reminds me of the Stranger Things it, it comes um, together. Oh, yes, title card. The title that makes no sense and has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but well, at the at the end of the opening monologue, I thought it would have a lot to do with the movie. Um, but it just turns out that that first scene has basically nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Am I dumb or miss something? Like, who was attempting to kill the president, vice president? <laughs> oh, okay. No, actually, that was that, no. That was the other thought that I had while watching this. Because really? it was so weird. Um, we did not talk about the big virus that happened recently when we were watching the movie about the virus that needs to quarantine the town. Um, when we were watching, yeah. uh, uh, what it was the last one? Why am I blanking on this? The Patriot. The Patriot. Oh yeah, because that title also has nothing to do with the movie. No, in <laughs> no. this one it is a. Well, no, the pa- it's just that the Patriot wasn't Steven Seagal. The Patriot okay, was true. the guy. There's Steven Seagal was classic Steven Seagal. There is at yeah. least like some connection there. There's like no connection here. But it, they say it was a militia group, like I'm pretty sure like a a, a pro-gun militia group from Michigan, mm-hmm. which I mean, I mean, it's I said in Michigan with emphasis, it's in Detroit, of course, it's from Michigan, like that makes sense. But I'm watching, I'm like, like three years ago, a bunch of a militia from Michigan trying to kidnap the governor, like another yeah. just weirdly uncomfy, prescient, pre- very prescient thing from like 20 years ago. Yeah, like this movie. I'm not gonna say predicted it, but as soon as I said that, I'm like, "That's that's weirdly that's a thing. relevant." Okay, that's fun. Yeah, it again, it's this militia group that appears to not very much care for this vice president. Um, does not factor in the movie at all because he just like kills all of them. He just like takes out the entire militia in that first scene. They don't factor in the yeah. movie at all. Oh, he takes on a helicopter with a pistol. Yes, when you talk <laughs> yeah. about helicopters and exploding <laughs> movies, just with a handgun shoots the helicopter until the whole thing explodes. The, yeah, the he doesn't even like shoot the pilot and it like crashes and explodes. No, he just shoots, he just shoots at it and side, then it the just explodes it. in the air. He doesn't even I, shoot like I the tail rotor or something. Just I had yeah. notes about this too because that helicopter had a minigun or chain gun of so, something mounted on in on the side, and they were able to r- completely destroy every cop car that drove onto that bridge, kill every other cop that drove onto that bridge, all the Secret Service around the Vice President. But Steven Seagal, well, he of course he survived absolutely no problem. In addition to that, though, he was shooting at the helicopter with a pistol, but it was it was his classic semi-automatic. I think it's a 1911 is the one that he prefers. It's what he has in every single movie. And if you mm-hmm. go back to the timestamp, I, 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 I don't have the timestamp up right now, but if you go back to that scene, he's shooting, like pulling the trigger one shot at a time, as you do with a semi-automatic pistol, but it plays the sound of a fully automatic like machine pistol. 
Well, they do. It's funny because at one point, like, they cut to... He's, like, picking up one of the militia guys, like, guns. He picks up a machine pistol, but then it just goes back to he's using, like yeah. you said, the 1911. Oh. So he's supposed to have, yeah. like, a submachine gun in his hand at that point. Yeah, but they just play the completely yeah. incorrect, obviously. Because they're like, right? no, it's not he even picks like, up the gun. Know, uh, I don't care if he's not holding the gun. He picked up the gun, yeah. so we're going to play yeah, the sound it's, effects. It's like not even like, it. oh, that gun wouldn't make that noise. It's that that gun is being shot one, two, three, and they're playing a noise that goes... Yes. <laughs> but also, the thing you have to keep in mind is just like the gun he's holding just changes with no continuity. He does not reload ever. Like There are, it's just a, there are a couple weird editing things here. Like I notice in a couple of places they use slow-mo to extend a shot by just like a second or two uh in one scene someone is drinking a cup of coffee and in the scene they like take a sip of coffee and then like put it down like he's holding the cup of coffee like in front of his chest it's just it's footage of him taking a sip of the cup of coffee and then the footage is reversed until it's resting in front of his chest and then they pause the footage and then they end the scene (laughs) it's they did that really that was, weird. Well, in one of the first like three or four that we watched, I forget which one that that kind of happens with like the knife stab. Like there's like a knife stab yeah. that just gets reversed to be a second knife stab. Yeah, they do like a Tuscan Raider, yeah. Star Wars kind of thing. They do a, a sorry for the younger. They do an Instagram. They do like a boomerang. Oh, yes. boomerang. sorry, that's what happens. Uh, do they do an Instagram uh. boomerang? Um, Invented by George Lucas in 1977. <laughs> 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 um, but no, the opening scene, honestly. Every single problem with it is true. It exists, but it's actually kind of fun. I don't know for the whole movie. I don't know editing details on the whole movie, but I can say I did read that they like specifically reshot and re-edited the opening to make it faster. So I mm-hmm. think probably some weirdness editing on there, especially with like having just like the yeah. wrong gun continuity all the time, is probably now. I think that. I think these are things which to a Steven Seagal audience they wouldn't even. No, it doesn't like they well, wouldn't, or it doesn't. They matter. doesn't matter. Like it doesn't. Well, he and shoots these the things don't really until like, it explodes. You're asking about yeah, details? that's you're asking about continuity. Yeah, so like everything <laughs> in the movie is is told in like broad strokes. So none none of the details matter really. Yeah, like there there's no like uh, setting up the you know future plot points. There are no Chekhov's guns. Except che- the one Chekhov he's has no guns in this temple. movie. <laughs> there's no like setup payoff you know you're if you no. pay attention like you can figure out what's going to happen next literally impossible you can't do it um it's just not that kind of movie like it's not trying to although there is tell an intelligent viewer like what's going to come next what although he does handcuff handcuff anthony anderson to the grill of his car and anthony anderson gets away by taking the grill off seagal's car and then when they meet up at the end he goes oh i'm gonna go get that grill for you so that's a that's a setup and a payoff okay yes Yes, uh, because when everything... there's little funny lines, but when it comes to like the plot, no. but <laughs> no. everything Anthony Anderson does in this movie is great. Yeah, he's he's he shines in this movie. Um, speaking, okay, this is, don't ask me how my brain got here, but um, I'll explain later. Okay, but one thing that really stuck out to me in this movie, it has nothing to do with the plot, it has absolutely nothing to do with any of the themes. This is probably. Not probably. Definitely is the most sexual Steven Seagal film so far. Elaborate. Okay, what? so. Are you, did we watch yes. the same movie? Yes, we did. <laughs> did you get the unranked cut? I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> there are like at least four topless women in this. Oh. And oh. every oh, other. Well, okay, but. No, no, no. But then. 
And at least every other scene which takes place in the like in the police station takes place in the police station gym. All the men are shirtless and oiled. In like a in like a top gun. It, it's the most top gun of his movies yeah. so far. It's like but it was every time he has a conversation with someone in the police station, there is at least one guy in the background who's just like very muscly and greased and flexing. Like that I don't know why that is. I but mean, it much struck like me Top as Gun, strange it'd be a lot better if they played Take My Breath Away like four times in like one scene in like the span of two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd make a much more fun movie. Um, but I don't okay. know why I... that was. I don't think it has anything to do with the movie, but it was just like a weird pattern that I noticed in this one. I kind of get what you're saying. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say it's like the most sexual Steven Skull movie thus far. Okay. Because there is one where, like, literally, he he is like gunned down while having sex with his wife. Like, yeah. Because he again, this like I, does, like yeah. other than in the police precinct, like you know the topless dudes, they're in the same scene as a call. Of course, like they'll be like shirtless and glistening and like tasing each other, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Oh, yeah. we're gonna tase you now." And he is like fully like again in every oh, yeah, s- yeah. scene, whether heterosexual sex with his wife or like homoerotic, like you know male initiation rituals in the police force yeah he's fully clothed while everybody else is naked like that's consistent yes yeah so that's the thing is whenever they tase uh, him I'm like that's not even as much of a you're tasing him through like four layers like that's not as much of a yeah. challenge for him as it is for the last dude. no um but there but is i just thought it was it was more consistent i guess i should say it's like more consistently sexual yeah. like with the the sexuality as it's been experienced in the previous films like you have a, a moment or two that's fair that are like this is def- this is a sex scene. Okay, we move away from the sex scene in the next. So scene I wouldn't happens. say like sexual. I'd say like vaguely erotic, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Like okay, this erotic. is like there's this erotic background to a lot of what's going on in the. And you in do the movie. also outside the police precinct, you have the DMX and Anthony Anderson run a strip club, and so you do have like an extended yeah. scene where Anthony Anderson's like, "Yeah, smush them <laughs> on the glass, put the green paint on." <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> That was interesting. That was interesting. Anthony, he's having fun. Again, like he said, they're having fun. Oh, actually speaking, do you want to know an interesting, fun, behind-the-scenes interaction that I think kind of sums yeah, up Seagal sure. very well? Sure, go oh, for I'm it. Like an old man, let me unlock my fire tablets. Um, so, <laughs> um, so the fun kind of where it seems like they're trying to let an actor have fun on, on set Um so allegedly Michael Jai White claimed that um his he he has this fight scene with Seagal, which is towards the end of the movie. It's not the last scene, it's like towards the end. But it was planned, it was like the last scene like shot with Seagal in it. It was like the last filming day with Seagal. And mm-hmm. he's kinda like, why? And the director says that they planned it, and they're like, So if you if you're just acting and you hurt Seagal, like that's okay. We we can rap, like it's not gonna impact filming. If you if he got hurt while you were doing your fight scene, it's not a big deal. Because um, I guess just Seagal is just such a, a jerk. Everybody hates him. Like, they just, the director's like, yeah, let's set it up. So we have Michael Dry White, like one of the greatest movie martial artists against Seagal, and just let that happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, they they basically, like, he didn't end up getting hurt from it, but they, like, try to set it up in that way. And then pair that with another fun fact. So another one. So martial artist Stephen Quatros, who worked on the film, he's a, he's one of the stuntmen on the film. Um, he had heard that Seagal had a history of abusing stuntmen. So something that he does often, that apparently that Seagal would just do, like on set all the time, because he's the star and can get away with it, 
he would just like go up and just like kick the stuntman in the nards like no, what? no warning he wouldn't start a fight or anything he would just go up and just what? like cup check them by just like kicking them in the nuts and what? so and why? that apparently this like he literally put people in the hospital doing this like he just like why would anyone people. work with this man okay so well okay i can't answer that question I can't, I can't answer why anybody would work with them but this guy describes how he's on set and he's gets he's meeting seagal and he's like i don't have a, a couple on so he's like the whole time they're talking he's like kind of like turning his like crotch away from seagal so he can't get kicked in the nuts randomly and then Seagal yeah. would like square up and then he would kind of like turn and then Seagal would like square up on him and he tried to like put him in like wrist locks or something. It's weird. He's just like trying to square up on the guy. And so he's, it's just because this is like 11 movies in, he knows this is the thing that's like Seagal will just try to kick you in the nuts when you're not suspecting. So Seagal's like, Ooh, okay, you're good. You know, walks off. And I think those two behind the scenes interactions just like perfectly. Oh, I forgot to mention. Um, but in ah oh, dang, I completely messed up the telling of this because I forgot one detail from the first one. Oh no. Have fun editing this. <laughs> um <laughs> So Michael Jai White claimed that in the fight with Seagal, um, that he was basically implied like you can hurt this guy, it's totally cool, it's totally fine. And Seagal could kind of like sense that. Like when they go to do their fights, mm. Seagal could tell like Michael Jai White looks like he got that, you know, dog in him. He looks like he's ready to actually hurt me. So mm-hmm. he just like he was like hesitant like he did like normally it's like okay and set and fight 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 but he just didn't want to engage so he's like reserved he's like not engaged in the fight scene as much as he should be because he's worried michael jai white is actually going to hurt him so you pair that with the fun fact that he just like randomly cup check stuntman and it really explains seagal a lot to me i didn't need this guy explain more i already know like exactly what this guy's like (laughs) i didn't really need this explanation but it gives a good way to summarize it that seagal thinks of himself as a tough man (laughs) <laughs> but his idea of being a tough guy is just going up to people who are better at martial arts and being tough than you are and just kicking them in the nuts when they're not expecting it. Like you're Bobby Hill. You know, he just walks up. <laughs> That's my purse. I don't know you. And kicks him in the nuts. Um, and that when they're actually like when he he's never put into a situation where he could actually be hurt. He can just kick dudes no. in the nuts so hard they go to the hospital and be fine, not get in trouble. And because he's the star and because they need him to just like. Nobody likes him, but they need him to finish the movie so he can't actually get hurt. That they put him in a situation, hey, Michael Jai White could f*** you up right now if he wanted to. And Seagal Mm -hmm. wusses out instantly. Like, folds like a napkin. Like, is not up to it. So his idea of a tough guy is just going up and kicking actual tough dudes in the nuts. Knowing, hey, hey, I can't get in trouble because I'm in charge. Hey, 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 teacher, teacher. And (laughs) as soon as you put him... How'd that go again? (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't get in trouble um actually um i'm the star of the movie so you can't hurt me or i'm gonna tell the director on you and that's all his, that's how he's tough that's his and he's just able to get away with it for like decades so that's just what he does i mean wasn't one is, of the movies that i think it was under siege sometime in his earlier career i remember reading somewhere uh that he was like afraid of water like, they were trying to get him out on a boat, and he wouldn't go out on the boat because he was freaking out because he didn't like being out on open water. That sounds right, but he must have gotten over it by this time, because going off of another IMDb fun fact, um, that's where I'm just, shout out to IMDb, um, <laughs> Tom Just R. all loops back resource. in, and he, he likes to think of himself as being a big yeah. tough guy, but he's really a wuss. Oh, but okay. So this Tom Arnold claimed that Steven Seagal fell into the water while filming a scene on his character's houseboats. 
So Seagal had opted to shoot the scene without rehearsal and mistakenly exited through the wrong door and just like walked out of the door and fell in the water. <laughs> oh God! If only we got that blooper. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll buy. The I DVD want a blooper reel to... in a in a Seagal movie. Where's the blooper reel? I mean, to be fair, have we really looked for this at all? Like, no, no. We need to check. Not the at all. And see if I don't need to look for extra Seagal content. No. Um. Also, DMX did not like working with Seagal. He described him as. <laughs> they would later work on one movie together again in 2019, but I don't. I think based on what I read, what? they don't appear together in a scene on that movie. Okay. Um. But yeah, just I'm reading about the fact, like reading about his interaction with the stuntman, with him like trying to kick this dude in the nuts, and also reading then about like when Michael Jai White gets his turn and Steven Seagal was out, that just kind of brought me some joy, and it really just huh. that's that's Seagal right there. That's what he is. That's his idea of being tough. Huh. We should point out that we just learned, well, we kind of knew it was coming, but the, the news broke that Seagal plans to open up a martial arts studio in Moscow to teach Russian soldiers. Well, no, to teach young <laughs> to teach people with, with who the intention. potentially one day be soldiers. That's right, that's and it's not just to teach, it's with the intention of teaching. Really, right. it's the intention of stealing their money. Just so we're all on the same page, we're not under any kind of Wait, assumptions that he is... We gotta, we gotta wrap this up. Um. Okay. So characters. There's gonna be a lot of editing to do with this yeah. one. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. You thanks. could, you could just cut a lot of this out. So DMX, great. Isaiah Washington, fantastic. Anthony Anderson, great. Michael Jai White, oh my God, my heart and soul, I love you. Would do so much better before <laughs> and after this. Tom Arnold, surprisingly fun in this movie. I <laughs> sure he was there, and he was into okay. it. He was into it. Um, and then he was there for a good time. The last one, Eva Mendez appearing very shortly towards the end. Yeah, she has like two lines. Wh- no, <laughs> I mean yes, you're right, but she doesn't even because then you learn. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so excited about all the behind the scenes. Drama oh no, I did hear movie, about this. That her voice was dubbed over by just some random actress yeah. that's not credited. Wait, really? That Eva yeah. Mendez shows up and everything she says is somebody else delivering her lines because um, the producers felt that she did not sound quote intelligent enough. Um, are you serious which i do yeah. i do eva have mendez. i do have to give eva mendez so much credit for this it's so funny um eva mendez first of all called it a terrible movie yas queen slay um her <laughs> she like she said that they didn't tell her she just like showed up to the premiere and she starts talking and she's like that's not my voice um and as a guest on the daily show uh she said a steven seagal film and i didn't sound intelligent enough and I think that's just a great, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty great burn on the movie. So I think she comes out on top here. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, I just kind of blasted right through the actors, Hollywood actors. Where are they and where are they going now after this? What do they know? Let's ask questions. Did, any other thoughts on the, the, the actors in this movie? Uh, I'm trying to find like anyone connected with this movie. In the Super Mario Who Brothers did movie. anything cool? In the... Well, DMX was actually in the Super Mario Brothers movie before this. Did you know that? What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, you just got oh my zacked. <laughs> the director of this movie was also the director of photography for Speed. Oh, nice. Hmm. So that was cool. Watching Speed. Oh, man. If we did this... For Ke- like Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, Aaron and Hans and Zach's excellent adventure, uh, the Keanu Reeves <laughs> fan cast. Uh, this episode, we're talking about speed. Um, that oh, We would get to watch so many good movies. 
but also some less great ones. But I, I think that'd be a nice like mix. also some less great ones. I would be. But so I'm just like, I'm just looking at everyone would, who though. worked on this movie. They would be so even the worst would be so far superior to what we've had to deal with over the past eleven weeks. That's true. Oh my gosh, nothing good, huh? <laughs> so this uh, doesn't have the typical like. This doesn't no. have the Steven experience of, oh, after this movie, they'd go on and star in this, like, commercial and critical hit that everybody loves and remembers them for now. The cinema, yeah, like, uh, it, at least behind these scenes, I can't really find anybody who went on to do something incredible. Like, y- you don't have, uh, oh, which which movie was it where um, the fight choreographer did that movie We're still and waiting then, on that like, apology quit once. for a while? It, it was huh? And then... Oh, it was Under Siege, yeah. Did did Under Siege quit for a while, went back, and then did the fight choreography for The Matrix. So, wait on that apology, Hans. What When apology? you implied the stunt or fight choreographer on Under Siege was bad at his job, and then he literally did, like, The Matrix four years after that. <laughs> <laughs> Still wait on that apology. Um, I like, think I apologized in that episode. Revisionist history there. I will say, so you mentioned there are like five producers. I think probably the one that does bear mentioning is Joel Silver. Um, he's produced yeah. like so many, just like too many to list movies. Um, but the fun fact about him that I appreciate is that uh, the character of Les Grossman, played by Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder, he's like a parody. He's like based on Joel Silver, who produced this movie. Like Tom Cruise mm. in the fat suit, like just like crushing cans of Diet Cola and like, you know, dancing like this music mm-hmm. and like cursing out dudes on the phone. That's somehow allegedly you know inspired by one of the producers on this movie so there you go Joel Silver <sighs> although this does actually remind me of something I wanted I forgot to talk about earlier how this kind of when I was mentioning how this is the most just like good straightforward just movie like if you're gonna watch a Skull movie and you're just like a dude sitting on the couch and you want to watch Seagal like this under siege and how it's very different on this podcast we talk about like the uh, weird trappings of like an almost like art cinema being forced into like a weirdly not action filled direct to video action film that we saw with the last movie that I kind of was weirdly positive on the Patriot despite it not actually being that good in the end and I'm also weirdly positive on Exit Wounds despite it not being very good in the end like these these two I've actually somewhat enjoyed but for very different reasons like Exit Wounds almost is the anti-Patriot I'm just thinking (laughs) about it now because that's the one that we're literally like oh you have the uh dp for like the fast and the fury series and this oscar winning mm-hmm. like director it, like so much talent behind the scenes and you can kind of feel that in the movie and then the actors are kind of eh. that's when you have like a really yeah. just like a fun cast not like you know box office draws you don't have like you know the Brad no. pits and you know the george clooners but like you have There's, like, like people that are george fun to watch Clooner. now you have like some fun people on on scene <laughs> there is no higher art meaning to this movie there is no, no you know even like thing trying to struggle to escape from it it just like has kind of nothing it's like weightless it's like a saltine cracker of a movie and then also just really no no one of no like behind the scenes either well okay i found okay the best example i can find and i don't want to diminish this man's career he's actually done some pretty cool stuff and that's what i'm about to mention tim barabal he was the pyrotechnician for this movie and he went on to be the special effects coordinator for The Expanse, oh, the TV show The Expanse, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it has some like interesting special effects. Uh, he also, to be fair, he was, was the pyro. He was the pyrotechnician on the Boondock Saints. 
to be fair, as the power technician on this movie, he, I think, contributed to it a lot, a great deal, as we touched on. Like, he can he just did. explode a helicopter with a handgun. This is also, this has happened before. This is another Seagal movie where if you just kind of, like, sideswipe a car and, like, knock off its, like, you know, driver's side mirror, the car is going to just explode into a ball of fire. So I'd yeah. say good job. I liked his contribution here. The best I can do here. I'm sorry. I feel like I should clarify for anyone listening, like, uh, not naming names. But somebody who's not Hans or Zach showed up, uh, I believe, almost two hours late to this recording. So <laughs> maybe if this episode feels a little more unstructured, maybe a little sillier, maybe a little, you know, maybe if the pacing on this episode is weird compared to the last ones, um, there, there are real world reasons for that. I feel like we kind of... I also... I was chomping at the bits to talk about this movie. We didn't get to talk about it last week. We talked about it this week, and then I feel like, I don't know, yeah. we almost... The, it, it was a little silly, a little silly, goofy mood on the episode this week. I don't know. I, I actually discovered that I had a lot more to say about this movie than I thought. Oh, I also want to say, once again, uh, Steven Seagal's stunt double is not credited in this movie. <laughs> Which is interesting, going back to my <laughs> Amazon Fire tablet of fun facts from IMDb. <laughs> Oh, I just realized IMDb is also owned by Amazon. This, this is not a sponsored... Okay. Bleep out the name of the website and tablet. No, you shouldn't bleep out the website. We should cite your sources. But bleep out the tablet I'm using. I don't want you to think I'm in the pocket of Big Bezos. Um, <laughs> Nobody thinks you're in the pocket of Big Bezos. Those <laughs> things are so dirt cheap. Joseph Billingier served as a stunt double Steven Seagal. Um, so it was interesting that he said he was uncredited because he said in an interview that Seagal like demanded that he was cast in this movie as his double he said this guy is the only one who can be my double and that seagal was ready to shut down the movie if this guy was not cast as his double and then he's just uncredited in the final movie (laughs) it's again a very weird kind of summation of seagal's what ego personhood did seagal witness like him committing a crime and just held it over him forever or like I mean, maybe because this is the one dude, okay, every movie I get to cup check this guy, and he just, like, puts up with it. So it's the one stunt double who's, like, willing to just get kicked in the nards, or or at least <laughs> knows to wear the cup when he shows up on shoot. Yeah. Who? Um, I'm so trying to... Seagal's yeah, big comeback. Um, he comes back. Uh, he did pretty well. Got some money. Uh, it's not the, the career-saving comeback that he needed. Um, oh, whoa. Yes. Okay. The editor for this movie was also the editor for well he was the editor for the patriot with steven okay. seagal and stargate hmm. and well and also street farther the legend of chun Li, but i don't really care about that um and he was an assistant editor on die hard and the oh. born ultimatum and iron man oh okay and team america world police oh dang and basic instinct okay Okay. And Total Recall. So he, he, he has his hands in a lot of things. Lot Derek Bretchen. Good work, Derek. Good work, Derek. Um, yeah, are we about ready to wrap this up? I think we're ready to wrap it up. Uh, any final quotes Steven or favorite Seagal moments? nearly two cents to appear in this film. Um, yeah, like Han said earlier, uh, I think, you know, one of my magnet. That's That's my favorite Seagal quote from this movie. Um, and just the entire riffing that Tom Arnold uh, and Anthony Emerson do, like during the credits. Oh, except the part about.
every part except yeah, that, was that pretty uncomfortable that, that made me uncomfortable but the rest was pretty uh, gold you should give it a watch you got a favorite part or favorite uh quote hans um uh, mm. <laughs> you literally fun. early I, in this episode said best line of the movie and then quoted a line <laughs> yeah yeah i already gave it that's that's all i got there wasn't anything else that really stood out as fantastic to me um, it, was, it was just a movie my I was favorite. I was having a good time watching it. Thinking back about my uh, like trying to pull details from it, I I'm only getting anger. So <laughs> I was weirdly positive. The problem is there's like movies that I walk away from angry, and then there's movies that I say I'm weirdly positive on, and they both have like exactly the same number of stars. Like those are both two star movies. <laughs> this is a two star that I'm like oh, okay, uh, okay. Um. I don't have a favorite quote, but I do have a favorite moment. That counts. Uh, I can't remember which character it was, but he's like hiding behind a, like a pile of like sacks of like detergent or something <laughs> in this warehouse, and he has a shotgun, and he like takes the strap off the shotgun and ties it to the trigger, and Wait. he like throws the shotgun in the air and pulls on the strap so no, that the shotgun. That's yeah, that's DMX who does that. That was cool. Okay, that, I can't believe we didn't talk about that. It's so funny. It's so ridiculous. And the fact that he does it multiple times and it works more than once. It was awesome. Yeah, they're right. Then he just throws it up and pulls on the strap and just like takes out like three dudes at three different times. Yeah. Yeah. It's such it was a cool. Funny... <laughs> no, that, that was rad. Um, yeah. uh, but that's my favorite moment. Yep. Cool, cool. So next, next one will be Ticker. Next will be Ticker. Ticker also which, from two thousand one, November two thousand one. I, I I don't want to spoil anything. I watched Ticker already. Really? Has it? Has everybody else watched Ticker? No. Uh-uh. Okay, Ticker almost broke me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ticker almost broke All me. All right. Um. Wait. Tom Sizemore, Dennis Hopper, Ice T. What? interesting yeah. ice tea and nos like okay another hip-hop yeah. influence okay okay i yep budget okay the i do want to point out though budget for this movie that we just spent the last you know hour or so discussing was i think around like 30 million or so budget for this one yeah six hundred thousand. <laughs> but it still has some big names <laughs> i don't have big names and had a uh, limited release it looks like yeah Oof, but oh boy. Enough to get into the Oscar nominations, you know. Ooh, this Wikipedia page is a stub, though. Okay, so join us next week. Same Seagal time, same Seagal place for yeah. Ticker. That, for that Ticker. In a, you know, in an injured, in a, in a depressed America, November of 2001, exactly what we need to bring us out of the dumps, the latest Seagal film to really lift our spirits Thanks. and rally the Oh, I didn't pride. think about that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> This probably well, this probably this to has that, to be everybody. the last Seagal film like made like produced pre nine eleven. So we'll kind of see if there's a shift yeah. from, you know, because you do have a certain kind of like early late nineties early two thousands like filmmaking that just disappears. Just because that's leaves. something I really looked forward to. How did you know the events of nine eleven affect Seagal's filmography? Um, I mean, I okay. I'm curious, so we'll see. All right, I guess I'm curious. See you next time. <laughs> Hear us next time. Ending on a really sour note. <laughs> yeah, you know how we talk, try well, to end the episodes with like you know some kind of zinger sometimes, like a fun little joke. This one's just uh, like, this yeah, is just a bummer. Hey, nine eleven happened. Did you know that? 
It's <laughs> awful. All right. Uh, you'll hear us next time at Steven C. It all. Bye. Bye. Love you. <laughs> I don't. That means one of us has to die. Ah, uh, you just got zacked. Boom, boom, boom.